All right, good morning, ladies and gentlemen. This is Mark Molina, CEO of Molina Leadership Solutions. We are very excited this morning uh, to interview our current county commissioner, District 2 for Springfield, Joe Burney. Uh, Joe, thank you for coming on the program. We know that you have a lot of a lot a lot on your plate. You have a lot going on. So I appreciate the time that you've made for us. Can we talk about this morning? For those that uh, have not met Joe, I've done a previous interview. We've gone over his bio extensively. But as he's the incumbent, I think it's important that we use all, all available time. We only have an hour this morning. We'll probably do another uh, interview uh, soon to talk about some of the things that um, he feels are important to him to communicate to the voters and those that, those that don't know him. And so in interest of full disclosure, I have sent forward to Commissioner Bernie uh, a list of questions to help him better elaborate to the voters and elaborate to those who are going to learn of him for the first time on some of his accomplishments. First of all, Joe, thank you. How are you doing this morning? Well, first of all, Mark, thank you. <laughs> and I'm doing good. Yes, I, I, I've learned to full-time juggle since becoming a commissioner and no problem at all. Oh, very good. <clears throat> So we're going to go ahead and just get started with the questions. Uh, Joe, as our current county commissioner for Springfield District 2, what are the three most important po policy decisions that the Board of County Commissioners have made collectively in the last four years from your perspective? Well, you know, there's been a, a sea change in our Board of Commissioners. So truly, it's hard to identify three. A lot of people don't realize the county commissioners, we deal with policies from land use planning. So think of the implications of that for the holiday farm fire and the fire mitigation and the rebuilding that continues to this day, which we can get into. Um, think of the implications for uh, economic development policy, for the sheriff's department, for the jail that we operate, for behavioral services, for health clinics that we operate. Uh, it, it's really across the gamut. So I'll pick three, but it, it's hard to do that. Um, for me, uh, I would think one of the most important things, which, which I actually campaigned on, for those of you that don't know me, I'm not a politician. Um, I've never run for office until four years ago <laughs> and honestly did not anticipate uh, in the victory that we enjoyed over the incumbent. Um, I'm here with... Uh, I got all three of my children live in Springfield. Um, we, two of them have, we've have, had two grandchildren born to us um, since I became county commissioner. So, you know, I didn't anticipate this, but now to answer your question, sir, <laughs> I apologize. Um, when I campaigned, I campaigned on things that to me are really important, except for with my business background, I approach them, I think, a little differently. So from paying good wages for people that work hard, from um, equity in our workforce so that people that historically have been excluded, at least from the opportunity to work, um, have those barriers removed. Health insurance, I mean, my God, look at the last couple of years, um, that health insurance for people is so critical. Um, and, you know, and that in terms of building, because my last business was a construction business, um, that, that we be smart about building and build with the least carbon emissions possible and, and when it pencils, use renewable energy. So after I won um, four years ago in May, I was just really thinking, how the hell am I going to do that? And what I came up with was um, I codified it. 
I created something which now is a, a term people use a lot around here, a community benefits agreement or a community economic benefits agreement that's really focused. And, and we do all our spending now, especially construction projects, focused on those criteria. And we call that a community benefit agreement. So we give priority to local businesses and local contractors that hire local people and that provide their employees full family health coverage. We prioritize that. Um, we now have a little north of $20 million of construction projects. We have learned that that has not increased the costs of those projects. We already now have data that demonstrates when you hire local and you provide people good wages, where do they spend their money? Locally. And it creates a multiplier. Um, so as it relates to, and also Mark, and I hope I'm not <laughs> being too verbose here, um, part of that is investing locally, right? So the other thing I've done ever since I first got on the job uh, was push our county to invest as much of its reserves in local banks and local credit unions and local financial institutions. And we have been doing that too. So that to me is, is one real priority that's changing the game for thousands of people. In fact, um, in order to make it easier because for uh, Lane Community College, which now has embraced this, um, a couple of our school districts have embraced it. Uh, Senator Manning and I work closely and I wrote Senate Bill 420, which basically lets any city, any county, any state agency, any school district do the same thing. So I think we've put in place in Springfield and in Lane County, a rising tide, which will in fact lift all boats. So that's a big deal. Um, another big deal, priority if you would, um, is the way that we've supported our sheriff's department. Um, the way that we have um, increased salaries to get them a little closer to the market because um, various other uh, police departments and, and state patrols are competing for a lot of the same people. Um, so we've gotten them closer to market. Uh, we've dig deep into our reserves and increase the number of sheriff's deputies and deputy sergeants that we have available uh, because we really believe uh, as a policy that everyone, no matter who you are, deserves safety. You deserve to be safe. You deserve to have your, yourself protected. And I gotta tell you, we are far from that in Lane County. There's still, even with these additional people, um, the wait time between in the real rural areas, because we're not talking about the Springfield Police Department, we're talking about the county sheriff's patrols. Um, it still takes way too long to get to emergencies. So we're beefing that up as much as we can. I think that's a, a policy imperative that, that we're attending to. And if I had to pick a third, I would say um, our, the fact that we've created a climate initiative and that climate initiative is not a loosey-goosey thing. Um, it is specifically, and we can get into that, but it's specifically designed to create more jobs, to create more jobs that are responding to something that, you know, even those that, that denied that the climate was changing, I think four years ago, as we have heat dome events, as we have the uh, 
the snows of a couple of years ago, as we're having drier winters and, sun and hotter summers, it, it's tough to argue with that. Um, it's tough to argue when foresters and ag business is rechanging planting cycles and mixes in soils uh, and some and crops are, are changing, rotations are changing. So I would say those are three of, of the big ones. And I'm, I'm pleased that I provided a leadership role in each of those. Now, regarding this climate policy, you made mention of how does that policy, how would that policy create more jobs? Um, I'm going to give you two quick examples. And first, when I became a commissioner, I asked a simple question. What is the carbon footprint of Lane County? Nobody knew. <laughs> so the, the climate initiative initially is just looking at Lane County's carbon footprint. County government, not everybody in the county. And as we look at that, what's what do you think is the largest carbon emitter as far as the operations of Lane County are concerned? Do you have any idea? I have no clue. The landfill at Short Mountain, by far. So as an example of that, and I hope I'm not boring people here, as an example of, of creating a climate response that creates jobs. Um, I have, again, it's really fun because I've been involved in all this stuff because for me, this is a, a post-retirement labor of love and almost mission really for common sense. So Short Mountain is the county's landfill. Um, Short Mountain puts a lot of waste in that landfill, a lot of paper, a lot of plastics, a lot of things that actually could be recycled. In order to really have an impact and to create jobs at the same time, what we need there are industrial sorters that can take where we could just put anything in recycled, any glass, which we can't now, glass, paper, wood, metals, plastics, organic debris, right? We, and it can be sorted through sorters with technologies that exist. Interestingly, the fourth largest manufacturer of these in the world is a Lane County business that has no facilities in Lane County. They have facilities on every, every continent in the world. Um, and so, uh, so that's a part of what we do. We need to sort material, bundle it, and sell it into markets for recycling. And we can do that. Um, second, uh, we need to take that organic debris and put it in digesters that convert uh, it through processes into methane, which then is converted into clean energy. Uh, and fertilizer, top grade fer fertilizer. Well, the county is now, after two years of pushing and pushing, issued an RFP for doing just that. Um, I have, under the radar, uh, developed a public-private partnership. You know, the, the, the limits of that. Um, local companies are prepared to invest north of $30 million of private investment to create this. Um, this will create upwards of 100 good paying jobs and Short Mountain will turn, it will decrease what we put into the landfill and Short Mountain will become not just a landfill, but will also become a recycling center and a waste to energy hub for Lane County. That's an example. So what would, what would the cost, uh, would that be all through private and government partnerships or, or does it look like you'd have to put out for some kind of levy or tax? No, no taxes. That, 
you, you know, you structure the right kind of public-private partnership, and you don't have to constantly go out with your handout saying, give me more money. Um, this would look, my vision of this, because it's not, it's not um, a done deal yet, but, but I'm going to predict right here and now, if I keep working on this within three years, that will be up and running at short mount. Um, what you're looking at is you're looking at the, in, the incentive for business is to create business. Waste streams have dollars attached to them that they can collect. If the county will give them a, a lease for a dollar a year, so they have the property to put the facility on, that's the public side of the public-private partnership. The other public side uh, is the county um, bringing water and sewer lines to Short Mountain so that we can get those leachate trucks off the roads that, that, that bring the leachate to be processed um, with the metropolitan wastewater um, thing. So, uh, off the roads, that's a safety issue that decreases trucks on the roadways, it decreases carbon emissions, and um, the public-private partnership is, we basically set the table at little if any additional cost to the county. And we structure it in a way that's smart for business investment and then the investment comes. And the jobs then that come from that are not dependent upon tax dollars. Very good, that's a big deal. Um, look it's, at it's, Mark, it's huge. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a great innovative idea and hopeful, hopefully we'll have more innovative ideas from all levels of government in our state uh, to help bring jobs and revenue and uh, we, the reasonable ability to bring outside industry that would be uh, an asset to the local economy and to us geographically would be phenomenal. It, it, it's a big deal. You know, it's like, it's why I'm so gratified to do this. This is a nonpartisan position and people try to make it partisan. When you, when you become partisan, you get so locked in to ideology. And to me, that's not how you solve problems. I've, I've never been a fan of career politicians, you know, that on the left or the right, you know, either side of the aisle. The issue to me is what's the problem? What resources do we have at our disposal? How do we leverage private investment to create jobs, to solve the problem? Right. And Great. you know, if I may, Mark, I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's this is so much more fun than the job <laughs> talking about it. Um, above all else, though, no matter what the policy consideration, something that's really critical to me and we have not had for long in Lane County is transparency and honesty about what's really going on and a steady hand at the wheel, especially. That, yeah, that after COVID and, and holiday farm. Um, and, and really, uh, what's been really true for me, because remember, I came out of owning a business and the last three years of that business, we closed over $140 million of projects. So, so I had private interests then. And mm -hmm. as a county commissioner, I think it's really critical to have an understanding of what it means to work not for your private interest, but for the public interest, regardless of policy. Very good. Another question, what are three of the most important issues to you as the County Commissioner for Springfield that you've been able to give voice to and to champion? 
Um, issues, the old, the overriding thing, and then I'll answer your question again. Uh, for me, Mark, are things that support, you know, the following. Young people having hope for a better future through hard work and see opportunities. Families and the safety and dignity of all of us, including the elderly. So within that, um, one of the things I've been very able to tackle is this whole notion of decent pay for decent work. That's critical. And at, through the Community Economic Development Benefits Agreement, we've been able to tack that with all county employees. And that's not talking about unreasonable wages that are going to put a small business out of work, obviously. But that's talking about where appropriate. Um, the other thing that's really critical for me, um, and I feel good about my ability to do this, is how you use and structure the small amount of public dollars you have for incentives to create long-term private investment and jobs. So we were just talking about an example of that, right? There are so many examples of that, but but when we look at you know at your question, important issues, and I think for these are important issues for Springfield, and I have been able to give voice to those. Um, and a third one has to do with housing. Now, I'd like to divide housing into a couple areas. One is um, for those of you that that are not aware, um, the residents of a manufactured home park here in Springfield, the Patrician. Uh, we're about to have, you know, manufactured home parks, you own your home, which oftentimes doesn't have great market value because they're manufactured homes that have been built 10 or 20 or 30 years ago, but you don't own the land underneath. And that land underneath is, is, is owned by speculators or developers. And uh, the patrician was a was about to have the land underneath them sold by the owner. And they were given first right of refusal, but they had no money, right? First right of refusal to purchase, but there was no money for them. So, you know, I was involved very heavily with about 300 other people trying to petition our, our you remember that, our city council, not to rezone the property because if they did, you knew that a developer would come in and develop hotels or luxury homes, and these people would be homeless, 86 families. So um, that was unsuccessful. The, our city council did rezone it, and I understand why, and, and that's history, and that's okay. But then um, fast forward, I got a call 48 hours before the, the um, escrow was, they were going to, the residents were going to lose the escrow. They needed $50,000 non-refundable cash uh, to secure another 45 days so they could patch up and piecemeal the dollars to purchase the park. Um, I dropped everything I was doing and I was able, don't ask me how, but I was able to find that money uh, from another board that as a county commissioner I'm on, Homes for Good, and uh, we provided that do those dollars. The residents had 40, 45 more days. They were able to purchase their property, and through that, through that experience, and, 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 you know, and 
I love them and they love me as a result of that bonding experience. But as it relates to policy, here's what I learned. I learned that manufactured home parks in Oregon don't have permanent zoning. And that's part of why you get so much speculator buying and selling them as commodities. I learned number two, so we need permanent zoning for manufactured home parks. Um, I learned number two, that the state has no revolving loan fund that when a park comes up for sale, the residents can have access to. So these people were scared to death. They, they, they were scared. They were gonna be kicked onto the streets. Um, and so uh, what we also need is we, we need a revolving loan fund at the state, not giving money away like we've been doing for so much this last few years, but loaning it and enabling residents to purchase their parks and have pride of home ownership and then paying it back so that it can be reloaned to other groups. And finally, um, we do have a group, CASA of Oregon, that will provide technical assistance and help residents buy their parks, form cooperatives, run their parks. So with that experience with the patrician, which is now called the Filbert Grove Cooperative, which is now owned by residents, managed by residents, um, I'm now working on um, state policy to make this available for all manufactured home park residents. Because think of this, there's 108 manufactured home parks in Lane County. About a third of them are in Springfield. We can't tackle housing if we're, we don't have a way to keep people in their forever homes and are kicking them to the street. So that's one piece of, of housing. To me, another piece of housing, which, which I've, I've loved having an impact on, is literally building supported housing. You know, Hayden Commons, um, we've built uh, over 75 units there for Springfield residents that are subsidized, they're below market rates, they're owned by Homes for Good, a nonprofit. Um, we have purchased and secured parcels in Glenwood to ensure that no matter what happens in the Glenwood area of Springfield, um, that we will have low income, working family housing, elderly housing, below market rates, because this market is going insane and it's leaving way too many of us behind. So the county purchased it or one of these co-ops purchased it? Uh, well, the, the county's partner agency that works for on this topic, which is called Homes for Good, purchased it. Okay, very good. Own it, we'll control it, and we'll make sure housing goes on it for people that that need that. Fantastic. I mean, we could talk about, about that another hour, but I got some questions. I know, I'd love to, but. <laughs> got to get to some of these. Um, okay, very good. What kind of services is the county still providing the families who suffered such great loss in the holiday farm fire? So, you know, Mark, I, I can't believe it, but we're almost halfway done. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to not give as much detail, but we can go into whatever you want. Um, the county has secured over $22 million and counting for, for their cleanup and rebuilding. Um, and 90% of that money has gone to local groups upriver. It's not like the county's kept it, right? So it's from Mackenzie Search and Rescue, um, the school district, a variety of local groups. Um, the county's rebuilding uh, water and electric infrastructure. We're working with utilities to do that. 
Uh, that's huge, by the way. Think about that. That's that's not county tax dollars. It's dollars we've secured from other sources, predominantly federal programs, that is now injected into our economy and is creating jobs and responding to need. Um, I don't want to lose that because because that's a big deal. Um, we had FEMA uh, reject our mission to build housing upriver, uh, and we fought them and we won. And now I believe there's 17 or more units at what was, if you recall, the USAA basketball camp up there. So, so those are in place. Um, we purchased what was formerly the Red Lion on Franklin to house those that were made homeless. Um, I'd love to take a lot of time, but we can't. Um, I'm the reason why that became available. We were told that there were no hotels. First off, what I was saying to the county is, why are we constantly using federal money we get to just pay vouchers if we can purchase real assets and control them so that we can respond to needs without it costing taxpayers money? And the Red Lion's a good example of that federal program, worked with DeFazio's staff, found a loophole, used that to, to create a program in Oregon, but we did that, to purchase hotels that if they were for sale for victims of wildfires. We, we purchased um, what was the Red Lion, which is, was a beautiful spot. I mean, most of these places were more run down. We're now housing uh, those made homeless by the Holiday Farm Fire there. When they get rehoused, we now have an asset with about 80 units, 80 rooms that we can then put to public health services, to homeless services, to whatever the needs are at the time. So, um, you know, we've been doing some smart stuff. Um, we've, we've re, we've, as a board of commissioners, we've waived all the permit fees that people normally would pay to rebuild. And that means we've wa waived at this point over a million dollars. Um, we have, we digged into reserves for money we really don't have, but we have it in reserves. That's what reserves are for, emergencies. Uh, and we hired additional land management staff, including a navigator to help people through the process and cut wait time for permits by over 50% for those affected by the farm holiday farm fire. And we provide a tremendous amount of, of mental health and behavioral support because, you know, it may not be news anymore, but there's a lot of people that are, they're still going through hell. I mean, they really are. And they're going through emotional turmoil and, and, and various things and, and county staff through behavioral health uh, are working with them. So here's an example of something that wasn't really a county service when I ran for county commissioner. Of all the units of government out there, it was the county that staffed the incident command center for rebuilding, and we continue to to this day. Let me add something real quick. Uh, Joe, you can go into as much detail as you want on any of these subjects that you would like. We're going to talk again. I'm offering any of the candidates running for office as much time as they would like. If they put a limit on it, that's their choice. I'm not sure. <laughs> I want to hear from the from the candidates. I want the voters to hear. This is what this forum is for. It is a form of community service. If other people do not, other candidates do, do not want to avail themselves to the opportunity, that's not my concern. 
I want to hear what you have to say. I want the voters to hear what you have to say. Those that don't know you to hear what you have to say. In regards to permits, there's this uh, concern that the county is deliberately putting roadblocks in the way of the permitting process so people cannot rebuild. Uh, <laughs> I couldn't be further from the truth, yes. Okay, well, very good. I just want, I want the voters to hear, I want the constituents to hear. You said uh, over a million dollars has been waived in permit fees. It's come out of the reserves. You've cut the wait time by 50% in the application process for those permits. Now I have questions. Uh, in the rebuilding process, are there special considerations post the holiday farm fire that people like me wouldn't necessarily consider? Uh, potentially damage to water, electrical lines, land itself, for the for the restructuring and the rebuilding and making things secure to current code, are there are there uh, significant considerations in those areas that we should know about? Um, I don't know how many people need to know about them. The the answer first off, thanks, Mark. I wish I could spend more time with you now. You know, I, I have another meeting I have to be at, but I would love to take you up on that for. Yeah, really, truly, and, and it's a public service you provide. Um, the answer is yes, all those things are going on. Um, in terms of the detail, uh, whether it relates, think about, let me just take, well, a couple. I mean, there's erosion concerns because when you don't have roots in the ground, you know, the, the, the earth is going to move. And it, anyone that's driven up there, it, it, it really is devastating. Um, and uh, so you have those concerns, right? Um, and in Oregon, we aren't growing seedlings fast enough to have replanted um, over the last year and this next year. They just don't exist because we are not the only part of Oregon that have had these horrific fires two years ago. Um, and trust me, for me, it was horrific because we were in the evacuation zone. <laughs> um, but, but think about it. And, and here's an, Homes for Good. I mentioned that group. We have purchased, we are involved in the negotiating purchase of property there to put in a manufactured home park so that people and we're dealing with those erosion concerns right now and we're learning it's not quite as bad on that parcel as we anticipated so that's good news but if you think about it for a moment think about wires carrying thick transmission wires carrying electricity from springfield up the McKenzie, right? Up the McKenzie. Um, and when forest fires occur, think about how that's just right for damage, which which did occur. Um, so one of the things that, that we've been looking at that I've kind of pushed um, is when are we gonna start talking about um, create for, especially for rural areas, not just putting wires under the ground, which obviously makes sense with it's very expensive, but what about creating communities that can create their own clean energy enough to supply the bulk of the need of the community and eliminate the need for that kind of fire risk? So we also are getting the state to look at things like that. But all of the infrastructure concerns you mentioned, um, county public works is, you know, and they're spread too thin, but they're doing their best um, and dealing with it. We also, um, created a, an or they call it an Oregon whatever solutions project so we're basically positioned to bring in more and more and more dollars and technical expertise 
to help with that. But rebuilding takes a long time. I don't know if you've ever been in a natural disaster. Um, I have, and I had my home just thoroughly thrashed and you know, 30 some years ago. And, and I know what those people are going through. Well, thank you for that expanded answer. And we'll get a chance to talk about some of these issues a little bit more. The next question, Joe, is what types of support, if you could expand on this a little more, you mentioned this a little bit, but what types of support from the state and federal government have arrived here in our county in the last four years since uh, you've been commissioner to address all of the things, the fire, the pandemic, the rebuild, the mental health, all of these challenges, law enforcement challenges, social unrest, all of these things we've, we've lived through together now, and we're learning to navigate together. What are some of the resources uh, that we should know about as the constituents of Springfield and District 2 that are now present that weren't here before? Um, thanks. First off, I know it seems like four years, but it's been three. <laughs> um, no, I'm just I mean, it's true, but I'm just kidding you. Um, and it really seems like three when you consider the fact that I thought I retired from my business five years ago. Um, that's a really good question because what happened was units of government with all this COVID and the way people have responded and, and initially not knowing right and and having to deal with, with federal and state mandates and you know, we didn't know what we were dealing with. I think we have a good handle on it now. And I think, honestly, I think we're coming out. I think we're gonna come out fairly soon. Um, but, but there was more demand on resources and there was less resource coming in. So um, in terms of dollars coming in, uh, both the city of Springfield and Lane County have received what are called American Recovery Act dollars. That's a big deal. Um, the point, the whole purpose of those dollars, Mark, was to cover the costs that units of government um, had been spending and had lost as a result of really it was COVID, but for us it was wildfires too. Um, and so we, I think most units of government, they're okay. They got their first tranche. I'm not sure exactly what the Springfield, city of Springfield allocation was. I wanna say it was about half of what the county got. So that would be $17 million. The county's allocation was 34.5 million. Half of that came in about May of last year and the other half will come in May of this year. Um, the first tranche for the county, I can speak to the county dollars more substantively, uh, but I can tell you that that's, that's, it helped, it didn't help units of government be whole, but it helped them get a lot closer in all the areas that you mentioned. Um, in Lane County, what what we chose to do was one um, backfill all dollars lost, which we were able to do um, from you know from COVID and all this stuff. But we were also able to say the first tranche, and I voted for this too, was to allocate a good amount to the sheriff's department as for as I you know mentioned for more deputy sheriffs for for improving the jail. Um, that becomes sort of a sticky wicked issue. And I'll tell you why. We have a county jail. In fact, I'm having lunch with the, the gentleman who runs the jail here next week in Springfield, of course, spend locally. Um, and, uh, and Springfield has its own city jail. 
I would argue that the number one reason we have a safer downtown is because we put a jail downtown and we now have that. Um, Eugene does not have a city jail. So the county jail, it, it serves as the Eugene city jail. They are charged for its use, but we're gonna run into a problem here because the city of Eugene has, is now hiring 30 more uh, police officers. More officers mean more arrests. More arrests mean more people in jail. Where the hell are they gonna put them? While it's not our issue here in Springfield, for the county, it's sort of like, uh, you know, city of Eugene. What are you doing about this? Uh, but we, but we've put that money in those places, and we put money in um, rent and landlord relief, predominantly. So we backfilled all the areas you mentioned. We've we've committed about fifth, fifty-five of our seventy-four million dollars that we've either received or will receive. The other thing the county has done, more so I think than other units of government, is we have committed to a process, again, full transparency. So we're gonna be inviting community groups to come and speak to the board of commissioners to tell us what they think community priorities ought to be moving forward as it relates to public-private partnerships in this case, it might be with nonprofit groups, but whomever, that can in fact help lift all of us up because we have more of that money coming. Now, we're also going to have infrastructure money coming. And that's a big deal. That's new dollars. And again, all these dollars, they don't come from our local taxpayers directly. They don't, they're not, you know, an increase in property taxes or, or fees, which are revenues for the county. Um, they come from federal programs, and infrastructure is going to give us an opportunity to really push for broadband available to everyone, no matter where you are or how much money you have, um, and really uh, push to generate uh, more clean energy infrastructure, um, which relates to electrifying um, roads. Now, even there, you get into interesting discussions. You get you, ODOT, which... To ODOT's mind, you electrify by having charging stations every so often on freeways. But what about us here at home? I mean, what about a much more cost-effective corollary to that, which I'm pushing and we will look at with the county is, how can we provide small incentives that can bring down the cost, whether it's purchasing an electric vehicle, whether it's putting a charger in your garage as a residence or as a, a business, a commercial enterprise, so that you really expand the charging infrastructure in the state, but you don't rely on, on ODOT entirely to foot the bill, that, that people step up um, and say, hey, if we choose to, we got this subsidy of a couple of thousand bucks, we can write it off, this is affordable. Um, all of those things are coming in. Additionally, I want to aggressively try and, I believe Lane County and Springfield is undercapitalized. If that hasn't been clear in everything I've said, let me just state it point blank. And, and one of my, my jobs is to bring capital in and make sure it moves through our community for business, for jobs. Um, everything we've talked about, that's been underlying it. And so, uh, I have extremely good relationships developed over the last few years with, with county um, leadership. 
And we have put a structure in place to aggressively go after additional dollars um, for a lot of these initiatives. Since the pandemic and the holiday farm fires and uh, other issues been going on, not talking about the, the revenue that has come in from outside agencies, but off the top of your head, what has been the impact to economic loss to Lane County due to all of these circumstances? Um, you know, once a year, first of all, I can't quantify that, but the economist um, that's assigned to Lane County from the employment department can and does. And he actually says that we have rebuilt so much that we're almost economically at the point we were pre-pandemic. However, it looks different. So many businesses have struggled and so many people, um, employees have lost jobs and other employees have gotten money for nothing and have chosen not to get back into the workforce. So we're going through a real transition here and the, what the county did as best we could and we, we did it well, and I could talk about that, I think it's even another one, um, has to do with quickly, efficiently getting dollars out to local businesses, relief dollars. Um, and a word about that, um, the amount of relief dollars that we've gotten, both to local businesses, but also landlords, because that's what renters relief equals. It, it equals money going to landlords, both landlords of businesses and landlords of, of tenants, their homes. Uh, has been pretty phenomenal. Um, and that in and of itself are dollars that keep recirculating and recirculating. Um, so we're not done. You know, there are still transitions, but I think, I believe, and I advocate for, you know, we're not locked down anymore. We're never, this county never, ever uh, issued any lockdown mandates. We don't have that authority nor would we enforce any from the state. We don't have that capacity. But what we did do is offer vaccinations for people that wanted them and education for them. So um, for free, obviously, and we continue to. So that's what we do. Um, and as it relates to business support, we're gonna be in there pitching for, for dollars to help our businesses get through to incubate new ones, you know, while some have gone, we've had new businesses start up too, and we, we shouldn't lose sight of that. And a lot of those businesses are providing some really good jobs and our timber sector has done extremely well over the last couple of years. Uh, one quick question, our, our landlord tenant, for lack of a better description on my part, our landlord tenant market, so to speak, or housing market, is that has that in your estimation or understanding, has that stabilized now? I don't think it can stabilize given market conditions in real estate, right? Um, we have one of, if not the lowest vacancy factor in the country. What has, what stabilized was people could stay in their homes that were getting rent relief. And what stabilized is landlords were made as whole as they could be. Um, I've also seen and been a part of I think some wonderful things where those individual landlords that could afford to have lowered people's rents. I mean, this is on an individual basis um, and, and bonded more in some ways. Um, I know, a, and, then, and then there've been other things. There was um, 
a Springfield couple where the gentleman lost his life uh, in a car accident and they had an infant and a little one on the way. And, you know, one of the things I can do within all these programs is just push through them on behalf of my constituency. And we were in days able to get her rent relief, food relief. Um, a friend of mine knew was her landlord, is her landlord, and his local church adopted her and her children. And we're seeing a lot more of that organic neighbor to neighbor helping, which I think government ought to facilitate, not get in the way of. Does that answer a little? It does. It does. I, I'm sure we can, we'll have more about this in the upcoming campaign by, by everyone. Let's talk a little bit, your perspective. We got about 12, 13 minutes left before you have to go about the timber market. You said that's doing good. Uh, that's uh, talk, talk, talk to us about that. Well, here's what I know. I know what the price of lumber is. <laughs> I know that my wife is on the Springfield Education Foundation and um, and the don and the advice from timber executives that are on that foundation is ask us for money now because we've just had two really good years. So I don't pretend to have any inside information. Um, all all I know is that um, that that's a sector which I believe um, is doing okay right now, it, and is a big part of our Springfield community. What was the agreement? Was it? The agreement that the county commissioners voted to bring us out of, was it NOLA or what was that? I, I'm sorry, Mark, I don't know. A couple of years ago, um, there was this agreement about producing wood, wood products, and there was a vote to take us out of that. Oh, 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 oh. you're talking about the Association of Oregon and California Counties. Um, Talk about that a little bit. Sure. Um, the associate, and I knew nothing about it when I first ran. <laughs> um, here's what I know. And I, the Association of Oregon and California Counties is a group that lobbies uh, on behalf of the timber industry for providing enough cuts for, for harvests, as, really as much as possible, and, and access creating, you know, lobbies for different kind of forest management plans and et cetera. Um, the reason when I became commissioner, Lane County, um, we voted to opt out of paying the $90,000 a year, which are dues for that organization. For some, I was sort of on the middle of, of that, and I'm really disappointed that a couple of things haven't happened. Um, for some that are sort of on one side of the political spectrum, it was environmental concern, and we just, you know, we just can't cut anything. For others that are on the other side, it was we should just cut, 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 and we should be a part of this group, and and we should help lobby for. They've done some really good things, by the way. This is a group that helped um, Senator Wyden include in in uh, the American legislation this the SRS program. Um, Secure Rural Schools, which is dollars we get in lieu of the timber harvest money. And we now have secured another $17 million of that for Lane County, which is a big deal. And AOCC was, was instrumental in, in lobbying for that. So they do really good things too. They, I was kind of in the middle. And my point was uh, a few years ago that, hey, look, 
I visited all the people that asked me to, all the mills. I'm a business guy. I, I really liked uh, people in the industry. So I said, look, for me to vote to get back into that organization, all you need to do is follow Oregon Public Meeting Law. It's a, it's a group that, that has a special interest. Um, it's a group that uh, a lot of counties are part of and, and some aren't. And as long, remember my point about transparency and honesty, as long as everything is transparent, my vote is we're in. Uh, until you do that, my vote is come on. This is a path forward. Uh, and for some reason, um, that group has chosen not to uh, do that yet. And as soon as they do, we're, I'm in. It hasn't affected their impact at all. Um, and, and we continue to benefit from that organization uh, existing. I, I do slightly remember now it was fairly contentious during that when all this was transpiring and it's starting to be mentioned again here on this campaign process, but I wanted to hear from you and what your position was. Well, I, if I may, Mark, let, let's get a little bigger than that. That is a litmus test for some people, either you're with us or you're against us, right? Which is really not how it works. It, it really gets deeper than that. Um, I was very involved, or not very involved, but very aware of the negotiations that have been going on that are now uh, between environmental groups that were on one side of that and many of the mills and timber companies that were on the other. And there is this thing now that's in place and it's called the Private Forest Accord. They've reached an agreement. Um, the governor helped facilitate it. The industry has agreed to a variety of environmental safeguards, new stream buffers, improvement to forest roads, innovative modeling for unstable slopes, habitat protection for Oregon's iconic species, a paradigm shift in forest policy, funding for habitat mitigation. Um, and this is signed by, by over 12 uh, timber groups and environmental groups, including Beyond Toxics, Cascadia. So I think we have the opportunity to move this from timber wars and you know what is your vote on this one little issue to let's work together around the elements of that agreement to support the industry and support the environment. And, and until we can start doing that, we're gonna get stuck in the same nonsense. So I guess for me, the bigger question is by not participating in the AOCC with their dues, has that had a negative impact uh, in the local timber industry or loss of economy? Uh, I would argue no, absolutely not. Um, now, the timber folks might argue yes, because they want us to be in it. But I got to tell you my paradigm. When I was in ag business <laughs> and I owned a broccoli processing and cold storage facility, we always yelled and screamed. We always said the sky was falling in order to get the kinds of policy, incremental policy things. Well, now I'm, I'm looking out for the public interest. And from, from what I can see, has our not being a part of that organization impacted the business of the industry over the last few years? No. Okay, very good. You know, we have uh, just a couple of more minutes left. I wanna talk about one more thing. I wanna jump around a little bit. Now, the second time the relief money came in for local businesses, you made it a priority to make sure that access was given to some of the smaller companies 
in particular many of the Latinx owned companies. Why was that important to you to make sure that there was uh, a pool of money made available to the smallest uh, business owners in our local market? Well, because it's only fair. That's the easy answer. Um, before COVID, before the need for business relief, I was setting up, I was basically the Economic Development Commission. And I was setting up a program for basically a MUPTI for local small business owners. It wasn't exactly a MUPTI, but it was going to provide relief the first few years that they were in business, because I know firsthand that's when you need relief. Um, so we had set up these processes that were in place once these relief funds hit. So Lane County was utilized that and was the first county to get dollars out with our with our private financing finance institution partners. But but we did. We got every bit that we had. We got out as fast as we could. When I learned that um, not one or maybe one or two um, minority-owned businesses uh, or women-owned businesses were able to benefit from that, I said, wait a minute, guys. If we have an equity lens and we're looking at fairness, and by the way, Springfield, we now know from the 2020 census, is the most diverse community in Lane County, which I think is a good thing. <laughs> uh, and um, if, if we're going to do that, we have to make sure that those businesses that maybe have language barriers or maybe uh, don't have the resources because they're operating on a shoestring to even complete applications, they can't be denied, period. We have to, we have to target making sure they get relief too. So it, it's just, you know, Mark, I've had a lifelong commitment to equal opportunity. Uh, and and I could recite poem and verse what that's looked like. And I have a business pragmatic approach to how you make that happen. So of course I did that. Um, when and I'm glad you were aware I did that when, when that came up. Well, my individual small business here was a recipient of those additional. All right. Yeah. And um, because it seemed like the, the when the first set of money came and was made available and it was gone in like 20 minutes or something to that effect it was rather quickly and then you hear in the scuttlebutt so to speak the insinuation that uh, there was some advance warning for the larger corporations to get uh to apply for that money quickly and then there was nothing left for the rest of the community i just appreciated how it was important to you know whether that scuttlebutt is legitimate or not i'm trying to make the point that it meant a lot to me that you as our county commissioner and the board of county commissioners collectively wanted to make sure that legitimately small owned businesses who like me operate on a shoestring budget were able to have some options and access that would not have otherwise been made available you know mark that's really touching right i mean we're we're, we're really here for that to help the little guy that doesn't have lobbyists that doesn't have a corporate human resource department. Um, I would argue that, just so you're aware, that it wasn't like uh, like a, a, a conspiracy or anything. It was just, if you look at it, who has the money to stay on top of where the money is? Who has the resource that knows before it's happening what's coming down the pike? It's not you. It, it's not me when I had small businesses. Um, it's it's the and so the net result is exactly what you said 
the money was exhausted in no time. The demand far exceeded. And by the way, some groups um, like Seneca gave that money back because they really, it turns out, didn't need it. And they were honorable about that. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's just, a, you always have that commitment from me. I mean, yeah, we talk policy, policy, policy. Let me tell you, um, for, the last couple of weeks, I've spent a lot of time on a couple of subjects that really get to the heart of neighbors helping neighbors. And I love the, the platform I have to do that. Um, there's a Hispanic, a Latinx woman with three children, lives in a trailer park in Springfield. I won't mention the park and I won't mention her name. Um, she was evicted. And from everything I can hear, it honestly there's a discrimination case here, um, but and she was made homeless, despite having access to rent relief. She was still made homeless. Um, nobody could help her. I called up one group. Oh well, we have these criteria and we can't help. I I called up our housing people. Well, you know this criteria. You called someone else. Well, the bottom line was, if from my position. I didn't take the hunt of time to help her and her three children. She's now in a shelter. You know, I'm doing what I can to advocate for permanent housing. She's happy, really. She's so grateful, overappreciative. Um, but but those are the kinds of things. That's an example of what I've spent some time on. And another one is um, uh, Vonnie Mickelson, the, the president and CEO of the Springfield Chamber, um, came to me because there's a, I don't want to get into the type of business, you know, there's I really respect people's privacy, especially those that are having challenges. <clears throat> but there's a, a significant business in Springfield that provides a significant service to families <clears throat> that's having some real trouble. Their business model doesn't work anymore. So I'm doing everything I can to find resource to get them from the business model they're in to the business model that's going to work for them. They, they need a small amount of dollars. I don't know if I'll be able to, but that's the kind of work I'm doing so that all of those, the clients, all of the Springfield residents can continue having access to this. It's a very vital service. Um, so I'm always looking out and I, I really, truly, that's why I'm here. The, when we talk about some of the larger corporate interests, obviously I support business, but it's the smaller businesses. It's the people that don't have access to power it's the little guy. Often it's people that don't even vote because it's so irrelevant to their immediate concerns. Um, it has been an honor. So, you know, this time around, win, lose, or draw. Um, it's been so gratifying to be able to truly be of service to, to those who have the need. Very good. And to develop common sense policies for the rest of us. No, absolutely. I appreciate that. I know we have to go. We are going to speak again. You said you're willing to, and I, I definitely want to. I want to get to some of these other questions. I want the, those that are going to be voting to understand who we're voting for and why you are selecting the candidate and some of these issues that are very, uh, very important to, to everyone to understand what really is at stake uh, when we say yes to a particular candidate and how they're willing to step forward. Uh, so with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, we've had with us this day, this, this last hour, County Commissioner of District 2, our current commissioner, uh, Joe Burney. We're going to have some more of these uh, opportunities to speak with him so he can, he can share more about his platform. We're going to be uh, inviting all the candidates to a forum as well, Commissioner Burney. 
and try to get an opportunity for the, the community as a whole to see all of you together. Is that something that's amenable to you, sir? It's totally amenable to me. My political consultants don't like it, <laughs> but we'll, get, we'll figure it out. Very um, because you know what? The, the more people know, the better informed, the better. But that has to do with people that are probably going to vote anyway. And, and this is a public service. I, it would be wonderful, wouldn't it, to figure out how, to, how your program could reach those that are completely disconnected from this stuff. Because I would, I, would, I would venture to say their lives are impacted equally, if not more, than the rest of us by these kinds of elections because they have consequences. Yes. You know, last year we hosted uh, multiple candidate forums from state representative to the district attorney uh, to all the uh, city council forums, you name it, we hosted it. And it, it's important that the voters hear from the candidates. If you Absolutely. Have their vote, why, yeah. would they, why should they vote for you? What is it about you that can instill from them the confidence that you will represent them? So... Uh, whoever your political advisors are, I would say to them as they would hear this later on, that uh, Commissioner Bernie is asking the community, the public, the constituents to maintain their confidence in him, as are his opponents, and we need to be able to hear from the, him. Oh, hey, Mark, I'm on your side. <laughs> and them collectively, so we're looking forward to trying to work this out with everyone. Uh, Commissioner Bernie, thank you for your time, sir. We will connect very soon. We're going to have an ongoing conversation on these issues. Uh, Mark, I can't thank you enough. It is a true public service. And and good luck with your campaign also. Thank you. So you have a very good day. We'll talk again very soon. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.